If you have a Bible this morning, I want to encourage you to grab it. Turn to the book of First Peter. Book First Peter, very near the end of your Bible, if you're if you're new to the Bible. This today is one of my my favorite weeks to preach because we're starting a new sermon series here at Redeemer. So last week we finished our study of the book of Ecclesiastes, and today we're going to start a sermon of 1 Peter, and so a series through 1 Peter. So if you're a visitor with us, this is how we do things. We start at chapter 1, verse 1, and we work forward. And here's why we do that. One, because I'm not that creative. Two, because I really don't have that much to say. Three, because everything we just prayed is true. I can't affect any spiritual change in anyone. And four, because God's Word is true, is powerful, and does save. And so We'll just go through God's Word because it's far, far better. But when we begin these studies, please, please, please don't think this. Like, oh, I can't wait to hear what Jamie has to say about First Peter. I mean, I seriously doubt that any of you have ever thought that, but just in case you might, like, like don't go there. Here's my plea with you. My plea with you is that you'll join me in the next three months with this prayer. God, will you... Open my eyes. Will you change my heart? Will you give me more faith, more repentance, make me more like Jesus through 1 Peter? So will you do that? If you're a note taker, write that down. I will pray daily for God to speak by His Spirit through the book of 1 Peter. And then, second, I plead with you. Will you read 1 Peter often? regularly. It's five chapters. It's five chapters. You could read First Peter every day for the next three months. You could read this book over a hundred times, and it would take you less time than it does to take a shower each day, particularly if you're one of my children. Just not five minutes. I'm just kidding. Anyway, we, but, but I believe that if we were to just say these five chapters are God's word that is written to speak and to convict and to change and to transform and to give faith and to give hope, I believe that God is eager to speak through his word. And so I'm just pleading with us, will we commit to be saturated by First Peter? And then we'll come along and we'll preach. And we'll come along and we'll study. And we'll come along and we'll pray. But I'm just, I'm eager for the next three months to have the people of Redeemer Church extremely saturated, convicted, taught, and changed by First Peter. So will you join me in that? Good. Everybody said yes, I saw you. I saw you. You're committed. It's in blood. Sort of. So today, our goal is to launch this series. I do so with great excitement. I do so with great hope. I do so with great confidence. Not in myself, but in what's here. So we're going to call our series for First Peter, The Shepherd and his sheep. The shepherd and his sheep. And that's our sermon title today. 
as well. But before we look at our passage for today, we take the title, The Shepherd and His Sheep, from chapter 2, verse 25. I believe this is a, a hinge point in this book where Peter says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. And so what Peter's doing in that one verse, chapter 2, verse 25, is what we want to do with this whole book. He's saying every command in this book begins with who God is and how He's redeemed you and how He is with you. What Peter is saying is, Every command in this book begins with the fact that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Savior, and Jesus is with His people. And so this morning, we likewise want to begin not with what we do, but with who we are. And so every do, every command, every exhortation, every call to obedience, every call to hope, every call to repentance is rooted in this fact. The Lord is my shepherd, and I am his sheep. Every cause rooted in this fact, I deserve nothing from the Lord, but he's seen fit to save and redeem and restore. So at the core of who we are, at the core of who you are, are a bunch of sheep following the one true shepherd. Now, I saw a bunch of you squinting at the artwork here. This is it. We believe, and Peter believes, that this idea of sheep following the shepherd is the way to navigate the modern world. It's not to look forward for something new, but it's to look back for something that always has been. The Lord is my shepherd. And if I belong to Him and He is with me, then I can navigate whatever lies in front of me. So from 1 Peter, we're going to strongly root ourselves in this truth. That God in Christ is the shepherd, and we are His sheep. So our passage this morning is going to be those two verses that you always skip over. The ones where you go, yeah, 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 I know all that. But you probably don't, and you've probably never slowed down to think about it. So today, we're going to slow down to think about it. So our passage this morning, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And you know what? I just realized right now at this moment that someone was supposed to read that for us earlier, and I 100% got up here and cut them off. Emmy, wherever you are, I'm sorry. I apologize. I think you can read the Bible well. There's no motive there. So I'll read it now. How about that? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied 
to you. This is God's word to us this morning. So here's the main point. If if you're going to give me about 60 seconds this morning, here it is. This letter, known as 1 Peter, was written by Peter, who walked with Jesus, to challenge and instruct and shape a group of Christians to bear fruit for God's glory in a particular place at a particular time. And so here's the main point for you. First Peter was written by God for us to bear fruit and walk in the gospel right here and right now for his glory. So we believe that the words of this book will shape us, will draw us to the cross, and will root us in Christ in such a way that we can navigate our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our schools, our families, our church, and our world in such a way that we can honor Jesus and bear fruit for his glory. These words, so we read them. These words, so we seek after them. So for my note-taking friends, our first point this morning, to God's people. To God's people. We're told that Peter, an apostle of Jesus, is writing to elect exiles of the dispersion. And you probably look at that and you go, I have no idea what any of that means. So let me see if I can help you. So Peter was one of the twelve with Jesus. Peter was the one who betrayed Jesus three times in his last twelve hours of life. Peter was the one restored by Jesus. Peter is the one who became the mouthpiece for this new burgeoning Christian movement early in the book of Acts. And Peter was the one who would ultimately become so faithful to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus that he would be imprisoned, set free, imprisoned, beaten, set free, imprisoned some more, to the point that ultimately he's in Rome in the 60s, some 30 plus years after Jesus has died, And he's there instructing churches that he knows of and cares for right till the very end of his days. So Peter is writing to God's people. Now my higher critical friends, we believe that when the Bible says Peter the Apostle of Jesus wrote the letter, that Peter the Apostle of Jesus wrote the letter. And we could fill up screens of arguments that that honestly don't really hold that much water. Peter's writing to Christians, to God's people, to help them be particularly faithful in a particular place at a particular time. So we're told that he's writing to Christians in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Those places are in what we now know is Turkey, 
what in Roman times were called Asia Minor. So these are places pretty far from Jerusalem, pretty far from the epicenter of Judaism. Places that would be known as Roman places, as Gentile places, as pagan places. Places that you wouldn't expect an offshoot of Judaism to take root and flourish. And now that's really important because as we consider who Peter's writing to, Peter is intentionally, I believe, using language that the Old Testament used for Israel, but he's applying it to Christians in a Gentile place. Okay, so a lot of people assume that because Peter says he's writing to elect exiles of the dispersion, that Peter's writing to Jewish Christians. I don't think that's the case at all. He's writing to Christians in a Gentile, non-Jewish place, and he's taking the language of God's people from the Old Testament, and he's applying it to New Testament believers as if he's saying that if you're in Christ, you're the people of God. If you're in Christ, all of God's promises and blessings belong to you just as if you were born to Abraham. If you're in Christ, God's eternal love rests upon you just as if you would have been Abraham's son some thousands of years ago. What Peter is saying is, I'm a Jew I sat at the feet of Jesus. I've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm one of the apostles. God's message is carrying out through me. And in Christ, the people of God are everyone who believes in Jesus. Everyone. Jew or Gentile, slave or free. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every ethnicity, every people group, all of them. All y'all can come to the foot of cross and belong to Jesus. And so when Peter heaps up these, this language, elect exiles of the dispersion, what he's saying is you are those who belong to God because of Christ and you have the blessings of God upon your shoulders because you're in Christ. Friends, this is a massive statement. Acts chapter 6, why does Stephen die? Because of that message. Ultimately, why is Paul beaten, imprisoned, stoned, and all the things that Paul goes through? Because of that message. This message is huge. This language the people of God are those who belong to Jesus. So Peter is writing to God's people. And the first thing he wants to do is not correct them. It's not rebuke them. It's not exhort them. It's not tell them something they need to fix but it's to tell them who they are. You are the children of God upon whom His promises and blessings rest. So here at Redeemer, 
when we talk about the gospel of Jesus, the good news of the message of salvation that comes through Christ, what we are inviting the world to is to belong to God and be his people. And if we are the people of God, we do not have to earn anything from him because he has done everything we need for us. And that leads to our second point this morning, by God's power. So yes, Peter wants to remind us that we are God's people, but he also wants to remind us why we are God's people. We are God's people because God saves sinners. We are God's people by his power. We are God's people through what he has done. Trace the theme out here. The word elect means chosen. According to the foreknowledge of love, the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. So, how are we? The, the people of God. Well, first of all, it's a very Trinitarian act that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit move upon a person. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father means according to the love, the covenantal love of God the Father that He set upon you. as in Adam knew Eve, for new. In the sanctification of the Spirit means set apart from the world to be unique by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit sets us apart for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. Salvation is by the blood of Jesus and is for all those who are covered in His blood so that we will be changed and be like Him. So we are the people of God by God's power. Why do you think that's such an important statement right out of the gate right here? Because if we're the people of God by God's power, then we will stay the people of God by God's power. If we're the people of God by God's power, then by God's power, we will never be ripped out of his hand. If we're the people of God by God's power, then our hope doesn't rest in our emotions, our strength, or the mood that we were in when we woke up this morning. Our hope rests in the saving Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If we're the people of God by God's power, then we don't have to perform to stay the people of God. And here in the Bible Belt, in the, the, the bastion of cultural Christianity, hear this message this morning. God doesn't need you to perform for Him so that He can pop out of the jack-in-the-box for you. 
He doesn't need you to perform for Him. He knows who He is. He knows who you are. He knows what He's done for you. And He knows that His Spirit and His Word and His people are everything that you need. You don't have to perform for God's blessing. You don't have to pray it with just the right formula for Him to answer. You don't have to ask with just the right words for Him to hear you. You don't have to be in just the right physical posture on the floor. All of us with, with like creaky joints say amen to that. For Him to hear you and to answer. We're God's people by God's power, which means we are Christians because of God. God and what God has done and therefore we don't have to earn or to perform or to keep ourselves with him because he keeps his people. So it doesn't matter how exiled you are. It doesn't matter how dispersed you are. If you're God's people by God's power, you can have confidence in God. So hear me clearly. I don't have much confidence in you but I have confidence in the Spirit of God who dwells in you. You should have no confidence in me. My ability to pastor this church, to preach God's Word, to lead our our people, the ability of our elders to be faithful shepherds is nothing. But we hope that you have confidence in the Spirit who dwells in us, who is committed to work through His church. That's our hope. That's our power. That's our confidence. That's why we labor. I mean, look, if we're not Christians by the power of God, what on earth are we doing? Some of us got here at 7.30 this morning in a different outfit to put up pipe and drape so that you could sit in those chairs with sweat stains on the bottom for 30 minutes and listen to me talk for 45. What are we doing if God's not real? What are we doing if God doesn't save? What are we doing if the Spirit isn't dwelling in us to bear fruit for his glory in this world. What on earth are we doing? Tomorrow morning, our youth are going to load up in a van and go to inner city Louisville for seven days to serve people who are down and out and don't know Jesus. And they're going to do hard things and they might not be in the safest places. Parents, I hope that's not a problem for you. But if Jesus isn't real and the Spirit isn't with our children and if they don't belong to him by his power, why on earth would we send them? We'd be stupid. But if God saves and if God keeps his people by his power and his message is the saving hope of Louisville, why would we not send them? You see how this works? Here in a month and a half, we're going to have a vacation Bible school. July the 17th. That was a test. You passed. Good job. Okay. Plus, I didn't know. But July the 17th. And if God doesn't save his people by his power, we're just wasting money. We're wasting our time. Bring some kids. Let them have fun. Yay, rah. The Y can do that. The pool down the street can do that. But if God saves his people by his power and wants to use his gospel to do so, then you better believe we're going to lay ourselves down. We're going to pour ourselves out because we want people to know this God. Right? That's why we do it. Some of you worked for nine hours yesterday cleaning out dusty papers from 1974. 
getting a sinus infection in the process. And if God doesn't save his people by his power through his gospel, then we are a bunch of idiots who need some amoxicillin. But if God does, then every moment of that was worthwhile and not in vain because we were preparing to proclaim Christ as God's people in a particular place. It was worth every effort. Do you see? Our whole worldview holds together on this. God saves through God's power. And I don't really care how Calvinistic or Arminian you choose to be. Or God chooses you to be. (laughs) But, I want you to put your head on the pillow tonight believing that, that you still trust Christ because God saves people by His power. And do not lay your head on your pillow tonight with any confidence in your flesh because it will not sustain you. If we can get there, we can do whatever we need to together. And Peter's going to challenge you with the sovereignty of God, but we'll do that next week. To God's people, by God's power, for God's purposes. The third point this morning, God saves for His purposes. God saves for His glory. So everything I've said, I believe, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. If you're in Christ, you don't have to perform. If you're in Christ, you don't have to earn anything from Jesus. If you're in Christ, you will be with Christ forever. And yet, this life, this oxygen, this family, this money, this world is not yours for your purposes, but it's God's for God's purposes. And He's claiming every ounce of it. If you belong to Jesus, then you're doubly bought by God. He made you, he sustained you, and he saved you. And that's the point. From the text, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. If you're a Bible marker, underline the word obedience. Evangelicals under 50 hate the word obedience. Hate it. Preacher says obedience. He's a legalist. Those legalists. They think my life's supposed to have some moral compass. They think I'm supposed to not always do what I want. Yes, the Bible thinks that if you're in Christ, God's word, God's ways, and God's purposes should shape how you live, what you say, and what you do. And I don't like it any more than your heart does. I know you said amen, but I know deep down you're like, I hate that. I hate it. You can keep saying amen, by the way. I like that. It's good for my flesh. But God saves for God's purposes. One of our Sunday school teachers and I had a moment before the service. Um, The door to a Sunday school class About three months ago, I went out and purchased a doorstop to hold that door open. And I think I may have bought it with my own personal money. I mean, you know, $1.25, that's fine. But I went to Home Depot and spent $1.25 for a doorstop to hold that door open. 
And so he opened the door and it started to close on me. And I said, where's the doorstop? He goes, man, I don't know. And I said, somebody at this Y took my doorstop and put it in another door because they thought it was more important. And I don't like it. And I want my $1.25 back. But we're moving out soon, so it doesn't matter. Now, that was a nuisance. We had a funny ha-ha moment. But I think it makes the point here. When God purchased your soul at the cost of the blood of his son, he did so for his purpose. And who are you to move the doorstop? Because he bought it and he put it there. And Peter says the purpose is that your life would be for obedience to Jesus. Obedience to his ways. And Peter didn't mean that as a stumbling block And he didn't mean that as a hindrance. And he didn't mean that to be a legalist. He meant it and said it because it was true. But the obedience flows out of the election and the foreknowledge and the sanctification and the sprinkling with his blood. What we are called to flows out of who God has made us to be. And we must not get those things out of order. Because if we're doing to earn status, we are insulting Jesus. But if we are doing because of what Jesus has done for us, we're worshiping him and we're honoring him. So Peter begins his letter like this. You are God's people, by God's power, for God's purpose, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace, may the experience of God's saving love be multiplied to you. Peace, may the confidence that I am a new creation in Christ expand in you. So friends, here's what I'm praying happens as we study 1 Peter. I'm praying that grace and peace would be multiplied to you. I'm praying that someone in this room who doesn't know Christ would experience his saving grace for the first time and experience his peace for the first time. Interesting fact I learned on the the internet this week, because everything on the internet is true, right? In the next 12 months, if we would baptize three people who are professing faith in Jesus, we would be in the top 20% of Southern Baptist churches. You heard that correctly. In the next 12 months, if three people would profess faith in Christ and follow him in obedience of baptism, we would be in the top 20% of Southern Baptist churches. Why not? Let's pray for 30. Let's pray for 15. But let's pray that this message of God's gospel would resound out from us in the way that we speak, in the way that we live, in the way that we pour ourselves out such that 
people would come to know Jesus. By the way, if you're visiting today, I don't care how we rank amongst Southern Baptist churches. I throw all those awards in the trash monthly. I don't care. If you want them, I'll start passing them along to you. But I care that the gospel of Jesus is reigning through us and is bearing fruit. And if we see people changed by the God who saves people through his power. Just this morning, when I was getting ready for this service in that room right there, I read an email that at Young Life Camp this week, four students, is that right, four? How about six? Six students profess faith in Christ because they met Jesus. It's possible. I don't think we believe it's possible because we think we got to save them. We got to get them to our event. We got to get them in our service. We got to convince them to stay. We got to get Dan to sing that song a little bit differently so that they'll feel a little less uncomfortable. And that's just humanistic stupidity. God saves by God's power, but we want to be used by God for his purposes. Or at least I do. And I think Peter's going to call us to that. So will you join me? Like, can we pray to that end? Can we pray that all the good God's doing, new people, new children, free buildings, new location, better facilities, no setup, no teardown, no trailers, that all those gifts, new friends with wisdom who've been Christians longer than I've been alive, all those gifts would abound in a people who are ravaged by the gospel of Jesus in such a way that we proclaim it freely, joyfully, abundantly, and we can't help but share that God saves people by his power for his purposes.